Welcome to Power Hour. He's Chris Benini. I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we're with you as we are each week to break down the biggest stories in college football. Be sure to follow this podcast on this feed on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review, leave a question. We'll answer it on the show. You can also subscribe to Until Saturday on YouTube. And to read our work, you can buy a one-year gift subscription for just $19.99 and two years for just $39.99 by visiting theathletic.com slash gift sale. And while you're at it, might as well sign up for our daily newsletter where you get your daily fill of college football news right into your inbox. All right, we are through all the preamble. We can get into the action. And Chris, it's been a minute. A lot of news has happened since we were together last. Nicole, you and I talked on Monday. We were like, hey, the season's mostly over. We can take a break. We're not in the off season, but it's not a barrage of stuff happening every day. And then we got a barrage of stuff every single day this week, including a bomb dropped by Charlie Baker, the NCAA president. We got a bunch of coaching changes. We got a lot to talk about. We do. So let's just get started now with the Power Five. We run through five-ish topics in Power Hour style, a minute-ish. Not really. We just go a lot as long as we want. But we've got five topics for you, and I will start with number one. Charlie Baker, as you mentioned, the NCAA president, he proposed the creation of a new subdivision, within Division One, essentially kind of within FBS, the way that we think about it, you would think about like the power four type leagues, the richest leagues, the richest schools in college sports. And essentially, this is the way I've been thinking about it, Chris. The idea is that the schools that can afford to play to pay players more money directly would be able to do that. And it wouldn't be able to be capped. So obviously, a lot of what the NCAA is facing in court is about restrictions and caps on compensation. So I think about it like I think about coaching salaries, which is not everyone can afford to pay their head coach $10 million a year, but the ones that can tend to do it. So it's like that, but for what they could put away for athletes in a trust fund. So the minimum requirements to being in this subdivision would be $30,000 per athlete for the year, and at least half of the athletes in your athletic department are being paid, and you have to adhere to Title IX with these payments. So it's technically titled like an education, enhanced education trust fund, um, but I've gotten some clarity from the NCAA that they can't force that money to be used for anything. I think that it was part of the calculation of how they came up with the 30000 was, you know, educational opportunities and, you know, advancements or things that you would be working on towards whatever you would be doing post-grad, um, you know, internships, work-study, other efforts, I kind of think even like, okay, learning, you know, a, a second language or like basically anything that actually could be educational related. Um, but again, you know, there would be no, there would be no strings attached to this money. What being in that new subdivision would mean is that you would be allowed to govern yourselves a little bit differently. So you could create rules around NIL or the transfer portal or, scholarships and roster sizes and things like that that only apply to the subdivision. And this is a school-by-school decision at this point right now where you would essentially be deciding if you're opting in or opting out of the subdivision, which in theory means that you could have members of a conference that some are in the subdivision operating under different rules than others. Uh, my sure. assumption Curious would be as work. this. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, this is this is obviously just a proposal. It's a conversation yes. starter. I would imagine that that would be a decision that conferences would say, hey, we're either all doing this or we're not doing this because that would just be bizarre if you had different like scholarship limits for the same sport in a conference and, and not everyone was doing it. But so um, essentially... That's the broad strokes of what was proposed. Separately, Charlie Baker was also proposing that anyone in Division I could opt into allowing their athletic departments to do direct NIL deals with their own athletes. Right now, that's not allowed, but you could essentially have 
the athletic department signing the entire men's basketball team to deals and then putting their photos on basketball season tickets, something like that. That's currently not allowed. Um, so those are the the broad strokes, Chris. And I'm curious your reaction when you saw this proposal and your reaction to people's reactions to it. Yeah, the, the specifics don't really matter. These This is not a proposal. It has to go through the incidentally legislative process at some point, and that always takes a, a long time. A lot of people were taken off guard by this. It just popped into popped into to the inboxes of some schools and conferences, and they didn't know what to do with it. I had two main takeaways from this. The first is that this is an attempt to keep everybody in the NCAA as opposed to some sort of breakaway. Because if the SEC, Big Ten, whoever break away, they're, they're going to have to create their own NCAA rules and enforcement and all kinds of stuff. The purpose of the NCAA is to be kind of a shield for a lot of these schools and conferences. This is a model that would let them do a lot of those breakaway things, but within the NCAA. The other part, the big part, I think, is that this entire thing is designed to convince Congress to give the NCAA an antitrust exemption. And Charlie Baker said this week that he wants a little antitrust exemption. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I but think there's just, this, I think it's one of those things, Chris, where it's like you either have one or you don't. I don't think there's sizes yeah. to them. Yeah, you're you're not you're not a little bit married, you know. It, it's it's um it's something where they can go, you know, they've been lobbying Congress for a while. They're lobbying Congress and telling fans to do things, you know, during conference championship games. And they can go to Congress and be like, look, we have a we have a general plan here. We're gonna pay our players, we're gonna let the richest schools do these kinds of things. Let us, you know, give us some federal NIL legislation, don't make the athletes employees. And then we can kind of go from there. That that it's getting ahead of a lot of the lawsuits that are in the pipeline right now that could make college athletes employees. That could blow a whole lot of stuff up. And I and I think good on Char. I, and my my third one was good on Charlie Baker for just putting this out there. Like we have been hearing for years from leaders in college sports saying, "Well, we need to think about this more. We need to consider this. We need to consider that." And nobody does anything. So, yeah, everybody was surprised when Charlie Baker dropped this on them. But you know what? It got the ball rolling and we're talking about some specifics and we have something to go off of now. So props to him for that, for somebody who's trying to actually do something uh, for the first time. So I, I thought it was a positive step in the right direction in terms of the NCAA and college sports figuring out what its future is going to be. I completely agree with that because you're totally right that one of the main criticisms that we hear all the time is that there's not leadership or not proactive thinking. And that was, you know, uh, the, the tail end of the Mark Emmert tenure. That was all we heard was it was just reactive. There was no forethought. And I think that this is a couple of things. One, it, it definitely gets a conversation starting started of essentially the split that people have talked about and love to just kind of chat about this idea of like the power five now four uh, breaking away, right? Splitting off and saying like their resources are just totally different than everyone else's. Their experiences are different. And if you're in the lower or mid-major levels of division one, you're like, they bring the headaches. They bring the lawsuits. They bring a lot of those problems with football. And, but you're doing it in a way that you're kind of still keeping everyone under one umbrella. So I think that's a creative way to do it, but still putting it on the individual schools to have to make the decision to opt into this thing. And maybe that eventually, 5, 10, 15 years, leads to the Vanderbilts of the world and the Northwesterns and they team up with the Wake Forests and they do something separate, right? Like it's not, you know, the different levels kind of self-select a little bit down the road. Who knows? Maybe this is just, you know, the very beginning of something like that that eventually leads to that. But what I just think is it's, the NCAA showing Congress that they can try to clean up some stuff themselves, that they can try to yes. adapt themselves. And yes, I know a cynical read is that, well, they're just doing this to try to get their antitrust exemption. Well, they're doing it in concert with that. Like this works with that because they're trying to figure out a way to put more money in athletes' pockets without making them employees. So it still has that piece to it, but it does show the NCAA doing something. and. 
adjusting, adapting, changing itself, which is something that we say all the time, that Congress says all the time, like, you know, you just want us to swoop in and save the day? Like, what what are you doing to adjust and adapt? And this is something. So it's going to be really interesting. We will get into some of the uh, other lawsuits that the NCAA is dealing with and some of the different challenges that they're facing, even as recently as later this week, some new um, lawsuits and some action from attorneys general. We will get into that a little bit later on the rocks, but um, we can move into uh, into number two. I'll let you take it away, Chris. Number two, Florida State, you may have heard, uh, did not make the college football playoff. Nicole, you have not actually been on this feed since that news happened with an ability to talk about it and give your share. And we, we've had some news sort of since Sunday. We've had at least one anonymous committee member say that they didn't think Florida State could win the national championship and that it was a very difficult decision. Uh, we've also had some politicians threatening to sue the CFP. I don't even know. It's, it's whatever. It's nothing. Um, what, what do you think about Florida State? And uh, do you think they can sue their way into the playoff? Um, I, do, I do not think that state politicians trying no. to uh, score brownie points are actually going to change any of this. No. And I also don't know that there's necessarily written documents and text messages and these things because they were meeting in person and having these conversations in person yes. in Texas. Um, but no, I mean, it has been, you know, four, five, six, however many days since Selection Sunday now, and I'm still really upset. I'm still really bothered by what the committee did to Florida State. And I've kind of distilled it into a couple of different points that bother me the most, because certainly I believed that Florida State should be in. And I think that nine years of information and behavior from the selection committee was abandoned because they always said that they would not project. They would not yep. look forward. They would not guess anything. And they did exactly that. On the very last day of the 14 playoff, they decided, nope, we're going to make this whole thing about whether or not we think this team is going to win its next game or win a national championship, which has never been part of this before. There have been teams that have gotten blown out in semifinals that were not peaking at the end of the year, but were clearly deserving. And their resume had made it that way. And that is how this thing had always been decided. There's a reason that the rankings almost always go zero lost teams, then one lost teams, then two lost teams. And there's always a couple maybe that are, you know, jumped above or whatever. But they're they're grouped by the resume because the resume matters. And I even saw um, a pundit say something like, it shouldn't matter what was in the past. It's about, you know, what these teams look like today and then moving forward. And but the past that you're talking about in that in that comment is this season, this season of the only data points that we have about those individual rosters and how they play together. So that still really, really bothers me that that they were operating a certain way for nine years and then they decided to operate in a very different way now um, so that was one. Two, I don't know why they put Florida State at number four on Tuesday, five mm -hmm. days before the final rankings. Everything that Boo Corrigan, the committee chair, said on Selection Sunday about Florida State was exactly what he said then, that they were a very different team without Jordan Travis. Well, through a game and a half with Tate Rodemaker, he and this committee put Florida State in, that they were one of the four best teams in the country. And then nothing changed. They still, it was ugly. The defense was dominant. They played with a third-string quarterback who wouldn't have been their quarterback in the semifinal. And they were outside of the top four. So to me, if you believed that this team was so drastically different that they didn't deserve a chance to play for a national championship, that should have been reflected in Tuesday's rankings. They shouldn't have been in the top four. They should have been grouped behind these other teams that you were thinking are better teams. Put them well behind Ohio State and Oregon and all those teams. Put some separation there. But all they did between Tuesday and Saturday and Sunday is win another game, beat a top 15 opponent with a quarterback even deeper into the depth chart 
which to me shows even more resilience from Florida State that they can win in other ways. But also, it's the exact same team that you had in in four. And then that gets into my my last major ma- major concern or major issue that I take with the rankings is that they were inconsistent. The philosophy was not clear. It was not consistent. The logic that they used to go four and five with Alabama at four and FSU at five was not consistent with then putting FSU at five and Georgia at six. That was a team that for multiple weeks they said was the best team in the country and they dropped from one to six. They go behind FSU. So does the committee think that FSU is better than Georgia? The team that they thought was the best team in the country for a good portion of the season. That doesn't make any sense. So I remain very frustrated, Chris, and I don't think that's going to dissipate here over the next month. I'm, I'm excited for the games themselves, certainly. But if Alabama wins or, you know, it's a thrilling game, that doesn't retroactively justify the way that they handled the selection. Like, those are two separate things. Correct. And, and you know, we, we didn't do that when other teams get blown out in the past. We didn't say that they didn't deserve to be there. Like, deserving to be selected well, is what... Well, sometimes, but... We did. We didn't, but they were wrong, but when people said well, it. Well, yeah, but it's like Oklahoma, right? They would go and win the Big 12. Like, they, yeah. they, they deserved those a- spots. A- in th- Alabama last year. They blow out Kansas State, and everybody says, hey, they should be in the playoff, right? No. Yeah. Right. So, all of that remains very frustrating, and... um. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm still not over it. I'm not going to take taxpayer money and try to, you know, score brownie points, but it's just very frustrating. It's been five or six days. I still have not gotten over Jordan Travis saying he wished he had broken his leg earlier. Yep. Uh, one of the most gutting things I think I've ever heard in this sport. And you're right. It there, there was incredible inconsistency. We'll get into this in the next topic in a minute, but I just, I can't, I still can't believe that they had an undefeated power five team, power four team, uh, miss the playoff. Just, it, it was the one scenario when we started this thing 10 years ago that we, that we thought could be controversial and boy, was it that said Alabama, Michigan, I think it's going to be a great game. Michigan's favored by like two points at this point. Uh, Alabama may be picked to win the national championship. So games are going to be fun. Doesn't mean that we don't think they made the wrong decision because we think they did. Yes. And if you have a quarterback apologizing and wishing that he had broken his leg sooner, one, you made a mistake because that should not be anyone's outcome. And I cannot believe they put so much on one individual player and an injured player at that. But two, that means you didn't explain it well. That means that you're, explanation and your philosophy that led you to that outcome was not clear if that is your takeaway as the injured quarterback at the center of it anyway we will move on well sort of we'll still be thinking about this and not quite over it because it is an all-time snub i think in sports but we are going to move on to number three and chris i will tee you up for this one Uh, This story of innovation and change is sponsored by Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. I want you to tell us about the innovation that's coming to the college football playoff and how it's going to look. You may have heard, but uh, there's going to be a 12-team playoff next year. And I think coming out of this Florida State situation, a common thing we are hearing is that, oh, it's going to be a lot easier for the committee now. They're not going to have this Florida State decision to make. I actually think it's going to be a lot tougher. I think it's going to be a lot harder because we're going to have a lot more things to debate and there's going to be a lot more questions. We're still going to have a 12-person committee. They're going to be using the same criteria they've been doing now, but we're going to be debating a lot of different things. You just mentioned Florida State over Georgia at, at, at five versus six. In the, it, we really, it doesn't matter this year. It doesn't matter for the 14 playoff. For the 12-team playoff, that's the difference between playing Liberty in your first game and playing Ole Miss in your first game. That's going to be a huge difference. We're going to be debating five versus six. That's going to be hugely important. Eight versus nine, the last spot for home field. That's going to be really important. 10 versus 11, the last at-large spot. This year, that was Ole Miss in Oklahoma, which we didn't really talk about. The group of five spot, which we did talk about, which is Liberty getting in over SMU. 
a bit controversially. If you've ever paid attention to the committee's rankings outside of the top four, they're quite inconsistent. And I, I ranted for a minute on this podcast a number of weeks ago when Iowa popped up at number 16 when they weren't even ranked in the poll. And I was dumbfounded by that decision, but it didn't really matter. Next year, that's going to matter. You're in at-large territory if, if you're eight and two Iowa who's not even ranked in the AP poll. So I think the committee's job is going to get harder and it's going to get hard every single year. So as we look ahead toward the 12-team playoff and the things that are changing I think we're going to be debating a lot more than we are now because most years, the top four is really easy. Next year, we're going to be scrutinizing a lot more decisions that the committee is making. So one of the reasons that this is why I like the 12-team model is because there are different thresholds of where that debate will be. So the top four seeds have to be conference champions and they get buys. So that's going to matter, right? Becoming winning your conference championship, earning a bye. That's a big deal. And then those next four, as you mentioned, hosting games. That's a big deal. So you want to be in that five to eight range. And then obviously for nine to 12, getting into the playoff matters. And so you still have obviously the highest ranked group of five champion and things of that nature. So there's just still like a lot of thresholds and a lot of interesting debate. I do think if we're going to be arguing about the teams that are getting in, if so, you're talking about like 12 versus 13, I think that's going to be at a different level um, in terms of like a different tenor of the argument. Like we argue about the bubble in the NCAA tournament, but those teams are all very flawed. And so like the teams that we're going to be debating about for that 12th spot, the 11th and 12th spot, or I guess the 12th spot will probably be the group of five champion most yeah. years. So let's yeah. say like seeds nine, 10 and 11. I, I do think those are going to be flawed resumes. Like those will be teams that probably have multiple losses, two or three. Um, they will have moments where it's like you could have taken care of business and not made this a question. So like I, I think that'll be a little bit different than arguing four versus five. And this year was a unique example where there were more teams that deserved a chance to have play out the national championship, like deserve to play for it and have their season end in a loss and not in a conference room. But I do think, again, I think the conversation will be a little bit different. And Chris, I think in general, we will be hopefully more informed about like what the selection committee is actually valuing because we will be paying attention deeper into the rankings. I'm a little surprised that this that the committee is not going to get bigger. I thought that they would possibly adjust the makeup of the selection committee as they expand the playoff. But from by all accounts, and I've asked this multiple times, they're not doing that. Yep, I checked again the other day, double, triple checking. They are not expanding the committee. Uh, quick, A quick question. Do you know who the last team left out was this year? It was Oklahoma. If we had had, if we had, if had the 12-team 12 12 playoff, okay. yes. It was Oklahoma who was also the last team left out of the New Year's Six this year. Hmm. They beat Texas. They were 10-2 and two and beat Texas. They lost to Kansas and Oklahoma State. Number 11, the team that got in was Ole Miss who beat LSU but got destroyed by Alabama and Georgia. You had Penn State, who lost to, uh, at number 10, who lost to Michigan, Ohio State, and beat Iowa, and that's it. Like, they didn't really do much of anything. Should should Oklahoma have gotten in over Penn State? I had this debate in my 133 rankings that I have to do every week. That was a very difficult decision, that 8 through, that 9 through 12 spot that I had to make. Saw a couple other people make. Most people, unless you're like an Oklahoma fan, you're you're – you're whatever, but they're pretty upset that they didn't get a New Year's Six spot, and that's a debate we're going to have. And yes, it's a flawed team, but I don't think a, a, an Oklahoma or a Tennessee getting left out of the field is going to go over very quietly. So we're going to continue no, to have no, these debates and, as it expands. And I'm not saying that, but I do think that some of my reaction to snubs in the NCAA tournament is that you had plenty of chances to take care of business and not sure. make it a question. Right. So I, I do think that will feel a little bit different, but you're totally right. I mean, it's not going to matter for the teams that we're debating and more teams will be in the mix for those spots in that final weekend or in those final couple of weeks, um, because yeah. I guess not everyone will be playing in championship games, but that will be more up in the air probably as well as we see like how those teams slide up and down or who participates in a championship game. If you lose a conference championship. So like those, those moving pieces are going to make this very interesting. And I also think that we're going to have some uproar uh, by 
the team that gets left out because the group of five champion is in. Like, I'm sure someone's going to complain yep. about that as well. And, you know, SEC commissioner Greg Sankey has already made different pushes that. about, yeah, about like the eight best that he would have supported an 18 playoff. It was eight best and no AQs. I do think you will probably see the SEC, potentially the Big Ten as well, push to eliminate or decrease the amount of automatic qualifiers because they're going to have a ton of teams that'll be in the mix. And, you know, if you look at how this all shook out this year, it was all future Big Ten or SEC teams except Florida State. So they're going to be supporting systems without automatic qualifiers because they're going to have a lot of at-large teams trying to get into this thing. Yeah, and, and some of those others, like the group of five, like Liberty got in as undefeated over two-loss SMU, but Liberty had the worst schedule in the country. And there was a lot of debate about that. They got in to their spot. Florida State got left out of their spot being undefeated. What is the comparison there? What is the criteria when you're comparing them? Eight versus nine is going to be a big one because eight versus nine, whoever is eight, is going to host nine. So you want that home field. Two years ago, that would have been Kansas State and Tennessee, uh, which was a, which would have been a very... Uh, contested debate. Kansas State won the Big 12. Tennessee beat Alabama. Like that's a pretty big decision. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, I, I I really think we're going to have more committee drama every year now moving out because there will be actual things to debate because in the four team, for the most part, there really wasn't. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on to number four of the power five. And Chris, uh, I'm going to let you go here because you broke the news. Yeah, uh, American Athletic uh, Conference Commissioner Micah Resco announced his retirement. He has led the conference for 11 years. He'll be retiring at the end of the academic year. I think May 31st, I think, was the, the date. And man, that is that is a big loss for college athletics in multiple ways. I know people may think, oh, he's a group of five commissioner. Oh, he's just saying power six and all this kinds of stuff. But before before he was commissioner, he was an executive at CBS and ESPN for like decades. Like few people know the television world more than him. And now the playoff is going to be going into a, going into its television uh, negotiations, which, which is still ongoing. And it's obviously a big time of change for the group of five. We just mentioned Charlie Baker's proposal. A lot of group of five teams are probably not going to meet that threshold, whatever it ends up being. But I always thought, I always kind of had a soft spot in my heart for Mike Oresco because nobody fought for their membership more than him as a commissioner. He was always pounding the table for his teams to get respect for the conference, to get respect in a way that other conference commissioners don't, or try to do it behind the scenes. He was always out in front. He would always answer your questions. He didn't hide from things. Basically, every college football reporter has a story of Mike Oresco calling them up because he was upset that some uh, either upset about something you wrote about the American or or positive something uh, that you wrote about the American. And it it was refreshing in a in a college sports landscape that is very kind of, I don't know, buttoned up and quiet and, and behind the scenes type of stuff. He was always out there and really was dealt a difficult hand because remember, he he comes into the Big East kind of right as it's falling apart. And he's basically given the leftovers of the Big East and Conference USA. And within a couple of years, they're in the playoff conversation. You've got UCF two, undefeated two years in a row. And that's a real credit for, for, for him building up a conference that became very solid, the clear top group of five conference during his time. The fact that in this most recent round of realignment, the only group of five conference that lost teams to the power four was the American is a sign of the quality of that depth. So, uh, uh, farewell in a few months to, to Mike Oresco, who really fought the good fight for the group of five. And uh, I think college sports will miss him. And I will, on his behalf, tell you that he would have hated you using that that term, group of five, this whole time. Yes. That he fought the fight on their behalf because he always believed that they were in a different category. Also, the push for playoff expansion, the fact that there is access for non-power conferences all of that has his fingerprints all over it um and yes we will we'll miss running into him outside of all of these meetings in these hallways at the dfw airport um so happy trails to mike oresco 
Uh, we'll have them for a few more months, and then there will be someone new in that commissioner room. Last topic for the Power Five, which has gone very long today, but don't worry, we will uh, move a little quicker through some of our other segments. Uh, the Heisman finalists have been announced. There are four of them. I think there should be four or five every single year. There's no reason yes. that we can't celebrate a couple extra guys. Guys, there's no reason not to. Uh, one non-quarterback in Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, and then we've got the three quarterbacks we've talked all season about, Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix. The question coming into Saturday night will really be, how much did the Pac-12 championship game impact voters? Michael Penix Jr., once again, with the game on the line, uh, his his team season on the line, he comes through. He did that so many different times in pivotal moments and a lot of one-possession games throughout the course of the season. Um, and then, you know, you have Jaden Daniels, the incredible, incredible individual statistics, overwhelming numbers on the season, electric player, but didn't play in that type of game. Didn't make a conference championship, was not in the mix for the playoff. Um, and so we will see. Jaden Daniels is the heavy favorite. And Chris, we both get annoyed by this every single year. We're not allowed to say who we voted for until after the award is announced. and. There's a lot of dumb rules in college sports, and this is one of the dumbest. And um, I will let you do your little rant here because I agree completely with it, and I know that this is your week to shine and to make these points. Yeah, I don't want to rant too much and lose my vote, but it's just, it makes no sense. Like, do you remember the Heisman tracker back in the day? I don't know exactly what it was called. Uh, Stiffarm, stiffarm stiffarm.com or stiffarm, whatever that website was that would kind of track the votes. That's the reason we're not allowed to say it anymore because that website did a really good job of tracking things and so many people would talk about their vote that the basically the Heisman Trust decided we don't want that to happen anymore. And I don't think coincidentally, the ratings for the award have tanked over the last number of years because there's no buildup to this thing anymore. We should be spending all week debating who should win the Heisman Trophy. The only other thing going on in college football on the field this week is Army-Navy at the end of the week. Other than that, it's coaching changes and transfer portal stuff and, and whatever. We should be celebrating uh, who was the most amazing player in college football. And I, I wish I wish we could push the deadline to vote back a couple of days so we can, the deadline is Sunday. I wish we could push it back a couple of days so we could spend the first half of this week writing our columns about who should win, arguing it out online and social media, like have this conversation because by the time we can have it, by the time the season ends and it's time to have the discussion, we have already voted. We we will have just voted on Sunday. And so it's uh, that is frustrating. I think it, it would draw up a lot more interest. I was actually thinking about doing a story next next year on like how to fix the Heisman ceremony or something. Um, we we cannot say who we voted for, but we can say who we think is going to win. And I think, and the betting odds are pretty heavily favored toward Jaden Daniels. I'd be surprised if he didn't win the award on Saturday. Nicole, what do you think? Yeah, that's that's where I am on it as well. And I'll be really interested to see margin and the regional breakdown of of the voting as well. Um, two quick thoughts and then we're going to move on uh one we actually get until monday at five o'clock to vote so it does stretch a little bit i also think that you could have a lot of what you're talking about even if you still have that same deadline and people have already voted and they write a column about who they voted for and why and that is a you're allowed to do that or you're allowed to go on podcasts and talk radio and have that conversation even if the votes are already made and you're not actually influencing anyone you can still talk about your guy and the season that they had. So anyway, I look forward to you fixing the Heisman uh, ceremony and everything as well. And oh, we will, yeah. we, we got to move on, Chris. We are, yeah, go ahead. Let's yeah. go. We'll, we'll talk Let's, about Heisman next week. Okay, let's move into our open bar segment. This is when we take listener questions. And uh, every week on Monday or Tuesday, you guys can find a prompt on The Athletic and send us a question for Power Hour for the mailbag. And uh, we've got a couple this week as well, and we'll, we'll go quick on them. The first question is from Andy J. He is asking, in lieu or tied to the Florida State debate, he says, 
Here's my thought takeaway that I think needs to be discussed. How has the rise of sports gambling skewed our perceptions of how we view and assess teams? Over the weekend, a common point I heard when comparing Alabama, Florida State, and even Georgia and Ohio State was the idea of, well, who would be the favorite in a hypothetical matchup? I think it was even last year when Nick Saban said on camera something to the same effect in an attempt to politic his way into the field. It's all just interesting points of discussion that I don't think were ever really used 10 years ago, and now we see it pretty much everywhere. Great question. I absolutely think that this is part of it. And it gets into something that Boo Corrigan actually said, which we've also never heard, which is, who would you rather play? Or who would you not want to play? Which is not part of the criteria, by the way. Absolutely not. not. I still never. have the book from the mock committee that we did. It doesn't say that in there. I have never heard that before. It's not supposed to be phrased that way or thought about that way. Um, and listen, you know what? This is it's the same thing, even of who you would who do you want to play, not want to play. Same with Vegas odds. Vegas loved Oregon over Washington. We know who won the game. You still have to play the games. Like we could all say who we think would win or who we think is better than the other. That would be an incredibly boring season to not play any games and just think that these four teams are better. So there has to be a reason that you actually play the games. And even underdogs sometimes win. Uh, Washington beat Oregon. We all thought, I thought that Oregon was better. I thought Oregon, Oregon was like was a 10 better. point favorite. Like it wasn't yeah, even but close. Vegas, <laughs> Vegas thought that, but we thought that like, but you play the games and then that's how they are decided. And that's how teams advance. And so I absolutely think this is a great observation, especially because there's more sports books. There's more integration of gambling into sports coverage on television when you're watching games, references to things. And also you can get like a, 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 a line on basically anything, like any hypothetical matchup nowadays. So all of that is part of it. Yeah, also Kirby Smart did that this year. He said we, we'd be at Vegas has this as a favorite over whoever, which was just like, I roll my eyes so much at that. I hate it. I don't, I, I'm fine with sports gambling and everything like that, but when coaches have to, well, Vegas says we'd be a favorite, like, that's why you're not supposed to project when you do the top four. That's the issue with leaving Florida State out because, you know, last year, TCU was a heavy underdog to Michigan. Our colleague David Ubbin wrote a story that TCU shouldn't have been in the playoff, that they weren't one of the four best teams. And then TCU went out and beat Michigan. Like, that's the point of this. If you win your games, you're supposed to get that chance. I completely hate hypothetical lines. It's 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 way too much. And you could just say we think Alabama's better if they play it. I just the, the Vegas stuff, it it's too much. I'm sick of it. Yeah. And uh, again, it's not supposed to be part of this. And it's, I think, part of the reason that Ari Wasserman, our Ari, changed his tune on this. I think like we kind of expected that he would have supported putting Alabama in to the four team field. But the results of the games have to matter. If you if you care about the regular season, you care about stakes and games then losing a game should matter. And you can't just pick four teams at the beginning of the year that you think are the best and allow them to lose to whoever and put them in the playoff at the end of the year. So anyway, I do think the gambling thing is a factor. Chris, here's a quick question from Bruce B, who's a Syracuse fan. He says, the hiring of Fran Brown has me excited about Syracuse's football. Syracuse football's future, is this a case of winning the offseason or is this a legitimately good move? Well, I think it's too early to say whether or not you won the offseason, but I think it's a, a good hire. He, he's a Northeast guy, which is something I was told that they emphasized in that search. Uh, from New Jersey, coached at Temple, coached at Baylor with, with uh, Matt Rule, um, knows that region of the country. And when you're Syracuse, that's, that's what you're going for. This is one of the toughest jobs in the Power Four moving forward. Uh, they have been behind on NIL. There's just there's a lot of catching up to do. Dino Babers was very frustrated about all the depth that they lost because of Portal and NIL and all that kind of stuff. So it, it, it's a tough job, um, but I think with a lot of hires in the cycle, you kind of identify what you feel like you need fits this job, and schools went out and did it. And I think that's what Fran Brown to Syracuse does. I can't say it's going to work. Most coaching hires don't work, but as good a hire I think as you could have made yeah I agree um and I I also was very excited with uh with the press conference and everything that we have seen 
as well out of Fran Brown. So I'm excited to track that over the offseason. Love a guy from Jersey. You know that's important to me. So I am glad that that has been highlighted. I think that's an important uh, thing for someone, and it should be in their bio that they're from New Jersey. Okay, let's move into our happy hour segment. This is where we talk about something that we are excited about. And Chris, you teased this a little bit earlier. You said, hey, there's not that much actual football happening this week. We talk a lot about things that are off the field, but it is one of the best games of the year. Army-Navy, you and I have both covered this game. It is so special. It should absolutely be on everyone's bucket list. Like, it, it lives up to it. I sent my parents there one year. The weather was horrible. They had an amazing time. The tailgating scene is incredible. The march on, the singing second, all of it. Just fantastic. I've covered three of these, and I know you've covered it as well. And uh, excited to see this one. This one's going to be in Foxborough. No, Bill Belichick's yeah. going to be the game day guest picker uh, for for the game game day leading in. Uh, it's going to be really fun. Do you know why it's in Foxborough this year? It's to no. honor the two hundred fiftieth, two hundred fiftieth, yeah, two fiftieth of the Boston Tea Party. That's why it's in Massachusetts, folks. And they got they got. I saw I got a picture in one of the promotional emails. A giant bag of tea. I don't know what they're doing with it. I just saw the picture. So uh, expect a lot of Boston Tea Party themed content around your Army Navy game this year. This is I don't think either of these teams are going to bowl games this year. They're both five and six, uh, but Army has two FCS wins. I think the bowls are all full up, filled up. But uh, also worth remembering, this is they're going to be conference mates next year. They're both going to be in the American, but this is not going to be a conference game. It's going to stay uh, at this slot moving forward. The line pre- presented by MG, Bet MGM, Army is favored by two and a half. The over under is 27 and a half. I'm going to take the under because service academy unders are the thing you always need to do. Yes. And I think I'm going to take Navy in this game. Army's been very inconsistent. I think they've kind of gone back to their original offense after struggling early in the season with that gun option stuff. Uh, But the jerseys look cool. Navy's got a submarine-themed jersey this year, which is very cool. And looking forward to it. I also would take the under because, yes, like you said, Service Academy unders. And I'm going to take Army to win. I think that Navy's defense has been good. They promoted a defensive coordinator. But the offense, I'm not really sure if they can get going enough. Um, and, you know, the the Army-Navy games that I covered, I covered uh, a lot of Army wins in this series. So maybe I'm just a little bit uh, biased that way from what I've seen in person. So really excited about Army-Navy. It's going to be a blast. Uh, hope everyone tunes in. Hope everyone can get there at some point in your lives. It is absolutely worth it. Let's go on the rocks. We talk about some friction somewhere in college sports in this week. Well, we've got to talk about Charlie Baker's proposal and the lawsuits that the NCAA is now facing. They already were facing a number of lawsuits. So many. Chris, tell us about the new ones and just sort of this whole world and the friction of should athletes be employees? Should they be paid? And and kind of this is all really the same issue. We're just coming at it from different angles. Yeah, I've been a bit out of the loop today. Uh, so I've, I missed there was, there was one about the Power Five and, and stuff like that. But there was one notable from a number of s- several state attorneys general said they're going to file a lawsuit against the NCAA over transfer waivers and saying that basically... And simply shouldn't be allowed to do this. We we there were threats of this during the Tez Walker saga, but you've got Ohio involved. I think West Virginia, a couple others, Illinois might be involved. I think Tennessee, and I'm sick of this. I'm annoyed by all of this stuff. You had the attorney general trying to get in on the James Madison waiver as well, and then they lost, and they decided, well, we probably weren't going to do this. You've got. Uh, Michigan suing the Big Ten and then dropping that. And I'm just, I'm sick of people who agree. I'm I'm sick of the, like, schools agreeing to rules, which is what they do in the NCAA. And then when something doesn't go their way, somebody's suing about it. This is different than athlete employment and player compensation. That's a little bit different. But just like, 
this one I just it might work. I don't know if it do, if it works. If they get an, if they get to an injunction, you might have open transfers all the time. You like you want if you're worried about literal free agency every single year. That's what would happen if this goes through. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just sick and tired of reading through legal documents this season. It's been one after another. <laughs> That's not why we like college football. No. And essentially the argument from these uh, attorneys general is that, you know, if you trying to transfer multiple times and that there's a restriction on that, but they're able to transfer one time, like this is an antitrust violation. You shouldn't be allowed to cap the amount of times someone can transfer without penalty. Uh, there was also a, another uh, lawsuit, another antitrust lawsuit filed by Jeffrey Kessler. He was one of the lawyers in the Alston case. He is part of the House case, which is seeking damages related to like back payments of NIL for athletes for the last few years. Um, this one is essentially saying that there shouldn't be any rules against pay for play at all. So more lawsuits yeah. to continue to track. And then also, Chris, you still have a lot of response and feedback and angst about Charlie Baker's proposal. So there's just a lot of overall friction, I think, around this and and sort of like the next steps moving forward, like what the NCAA can control and then decisions that will be made for them potentially in the courts. The, the, they're, they're, the environment of college sports is going to change like that's coming whether it's a split or breaking from the incident player or, or something like that is coming. And that's why Charlie Baker came out with this proposal. It was like, we have to get on this. We have to, we have to have a hand in developing what our future looks like. And I think that's a good thing because I don't think blowing up college sports is ultimately a good thing. Like you can say athletes should have gotten paid for many, many years. That's been, it's been a topic for a very, very long time, but these lawsuits are going to blow the whole thing up if they don't get that uh, congressional exemption. And so that's why they have to get moving on this and come up with something. Uh, at the same time, the players are going to make sure they the players are going to need, you know, their own representation and, and play a part in this as well. Yeah, I agree. And again, like there's a lot of different dominoes that could be the one to fall. There's different lawsuits fighting specific different things related to athletes being paid. And it kind of depends which one falls first and then what this is going to look like from a financial standpoint and structural standpoint. Uh, but Chris and I will continue to cover that. You guys know that that is in our wheelhouse. There will continue to be development, certainly in the off season, And we will get into all of that. Before we go, though, we like to end things typically on a lighter note with a last call. It's it's cheers or jeers. It's something we want to get off our chests as we're having our last drinks before the bar closes. Um, and and Chris, I'm going to let you go first here. I think you have a cheers. Okay, for the record, mine is a mine was in response to Nicole's, but she's not saying well, hers do, first. Do you want me to go first? I can go first. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first, and I'll explain it after you go. My last call is to the Big Twelve for having a WWE Championship belt for the Big Twelve Championship game. MVP. They had a partnership with WWE. There were logos on the field and the undertaker big Texas fan was on the podium to give the belt to Quinn Ewers championship belts are awesome. Every league should do them. The sun belt has been doing this for a very long time. South Alabama and Troy have a rivalry for a championship belt. Belts are awesome. Every team's got a turnover belt or something like that this season. So props to the big 12 for doing that partnership and getting a championship belt. Quinn Ewer said he didn't know what he was going to do with it. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of big. It doesn't, you know, it's not, it's bigger than a trophy where you're exactly going to figure it out. I don't know. I just know that was a really cool belt. Shout out to the Big 12 for doing something uh, pretty fun this year. All right. So my last call goes to Taylor Allison Swift. I am a fan of hers for, for those oh, really? who, who might be new to the podcast. And I got to say, as much as I've enjoyed everything related to the Travis Kelsey relationship, I've spun that into podcast content because he is very identified with Cincinnati football and the NFL is a version of football. We cover college football. There's enough you know, tangential reasons. But she gave us, she gave me specifically, any woman who loves football, any woman who loves sports, she gave us a great line forever that we will steal. It is her greatest lyric 
of all time because I will use this constantly. It was in response to people who felt that, who complained about her being shown during football games, who complained about, you know, broadcasters making Taylor Swift jokes, whatever. The quote was, I have no awareness of if I'm being shown too much and pissing off a few dads, brads, and chads. Dads, brads, and chads, I will steal this forever. They are the ones who are the meanest. They are the ones who come at women who work in sports, who come at women who like sports. And I don't care if I'm pissing off a couple of dads, brads, and chads. I'm going to say this all the time. Thank you to Taylor Swift for that lyric, the lyric of our lives, aka women who work in sports, our lives. Thank you so much. If Cheers. this was two, if this was two thousand seven, uh, a a blog would have popped up called Dads, Brads, and Chads. Instantly. Oh man, that would have been blog a great name. blog name. Yeah. I, Ooh, if, wait, and, Chris. And, wait, real quick, yeah. Chris. Can you remind me to name my fantasy football team Dads, Brads, and Chads next year? Yes. Also related, we've got a text from Colton Pouncey. He's telling you to set your lineup, so don't forget to do that. While you do that, go change your team name. You might as well do that too. Okay. And I could do the, that. The, right the now. reason. The reason I went with a pro wrestling themed last call was because I knew that she had Nicole had gone with a Taylor Swift last call. And if she's going to do that, I'm going to do mine. Shout out to The Undertaker. And shout out to Taylor Swift and pissing off the dads, Brads and Chads. All right, that'll do it for Power Hour. We appreciate you hanging with us. As a reminder, you want to follow the Until Saturday podcast feed because you get notifications when there's new episodes. You can also subscribe on the YouTube channel. Ari and David will be live on Sunday for the Sunday Sound Off. And if you prefer the written word, subscribe to the Until Saturday newsletter. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach, and we will talk to you next time.